Willis Welcome to the Fade Route. With DNZ. Here are your hosts. DNZ. everybody this week's episode of the fade route with dnz imz and we got a great show for you legendary special teams coach from the jets dolphins and saints mike westoff joins us on the in route to talk his new book and also some current nfl players like Taysom hill and a few uh few of westoff guys who may or may not be uh floating around the league now jimmy g gets paid and R.J. Barrett gets paid, which may mess up the Donovan Mitchell thing for the Knicks. But we begin with a little bit of breaking news from Chicago. White Sox manager Tony La Russa is now out indefinitely as he undergoes medical tests in Arizona, according to the team on Wednesday. The White Sox were playing against the Kansas City Royals, and La Russa actually participated in his regular pregame routine. Everything was, you know, it seemed to be normal, seemed to be like everything was hunky-dory. And then with about an hour before first pitch, he was not medically cleared to manage by doctors. Now, it's been a tumultuous season for the White Sox, to say the least. There were high expectations this was the year that they were supposed to take the leap. And frankly, they have been one of the bigger underachieving clubs in all of Major League Baseball. And Miguel Cairo, the bench coach, is going to manage until La Russa returns. It is August 31st, September 1st. You only have about a month left pragmatism and you know that would probably dictate that Tony is not coming back this year at least you know out of a, an abundance of caution you would figure that Tony LaRusso would not come back this year to manage and we wish him nothing but the best hopefully you know he is able to you know recover and get back to the game he loves he's only 77 right 77 is still a very is still young but you know his if he were to leave today if this was if that was his last game as a manager he is well within the hall of fame he is a three-time world series champion a six-time pennant winner he's a four-time manager of the year like his legacy is already set because you know Cooperstown has already enshrined him He didn't detract enough, you know, he didn't detract from his legacy by taking this position, but clearly, like, something that hasn't been right all year, and this was just another blow in a series of them for the White Sox this year. But, Tony, we wish you the best, rest up, and hopefully you can get back to the game of baseball soon, because baseball can always use a guy like you. And here he is, 
I have known this guy since our days on Carousel Shoes, flight crew through and through the last QB in St. John's history. What's up, D? How's it going, man? Yeah, sad to hear about uh, Tony Larusa. Um, you know, obviously health always comes first, and you know he's an older guy, and he's been around for a long time. But you're right, something's been amiss all season. I mean, this is a team that was supposed to be competing for a World Series title. Now, I mean, they're only six games back, but I mean, they're they're under 500. They're two and eight in their last ten. They they're they're below 500 at home. I mean, this team was supposed to bang the ball out of the park, and we were supposed to see a decent showing of their starting rotation. And, you know, Tony has made some questionable decisions to walk people, you know, in, when there's runners in scoring position to uh, walk, walk certain players to get to uh, to get to even better hitters. And so th- it, it's ugly. Um, after this season, he should step down and, you know, he should, you know, re- live out the remaining days enjoying life and not traveling around the United States coaching a baseball team. Well, I mean, it's his prerogative, absolutely, but um, Jerry Reinsdor is on record. He does not like to fire people, particularly Tony La Russa, because of the complicated relationship that they've had. You know, that was, according to Reinsdorf, that was his biggest regret. His biggest regret was firing Tony La Russa in the 70s. So this is kind of like a make good on a past wrong and digging in and doubling down when it's not working. And it's just a, an issue after issue after issue. It doesn't seem like that would be the best course of action. And I mean, all you have to do, like you were saying about uh, the offense and how the offense was supposed to be carrying this team. 20th in runs scored, 14th in on-base percentage, 18th in slugging percentage. They do have the fourth highest batting average in the league, but that doesn't translate. They're, they're getting hits, but a 385 slugging percentage, they're they're not manifesting and then they're only they've only scored 540 runs so you know something has not clicked all year um we'll see where they go in the future and this may end up being like a mutual parting of the ways for health purposes but it's also a a nice little audition for miguel cairo too miguel cairo is a long respected baseball man was a utility player for many years and now this is his opportunity to show, as the manager of record, this is what he's capable of. He's, it's time for him to show up and show out, and we will see what Miguel Cairo is made of. Do you love brownies? Of course you love brownies. But you know what's better than a brownie? A delicious, handcrafted, gourmet brownie delivered right to your doorstep. That's what our guys at Sweet Life Brownie Co. offer. Chef Tommy D and the crew offer a dozen delicious delights that you will crave from the classic OB to Dutch Apple to Campfire S'mores and many more. Check out their website, sweetlifebrownieco.com for their Friday brownie drops. At noon, their site goes live and you see what they're making. 
Since you're there, become a site member and earn points. You earn 50 points just by signing up. Make sure you follow on Instagram and Facebook too at SweetLifeBrownie underscore co for the latest updates and their latest releases and creations. That's SweetLifeBrownieCo.com. Give them a call, 845-641-3043 and tell them DNZ sent you. That's SweetLifeBrownieCo.com, 845-641-3043. Sweet Life Brownie Co. Because there's always room for a brownie. Speaking of knowing what somebody is made of, we begin today's show with Jimmy Garoppolo. We know what Jimmy G is, right? Solid, unspectacular, gets the job done, wins. But the Niners have seemingly moved on to Trey Lance and we're going to cast Jimmy aside. They were looking for trade partners and they were unable to. Not one offer came in, if we are to believe what we're told. Not one offer was fielded for Mr. Garoppolo. So, the Niners signed him to a very player-friendly deal. No movement clause, no tag clause, $6.5 million guaranteed for this year, and then he's a free agent. D, do you think this will cause a problem within the locker room if the Niners start to struggle? I think it's a huge problem right now, right? I mean, I think the 49er, you know, you may differ with me on this, and our listeners may differ with me on this, but I think the 49ers are concerned with Trey Lance. I think, you know, going into training camp, he's the guy, this is his team. But through training camp, through the preseason games, I think they've there's some question marks. And, you know, you, when you think back to teams in the past, I mean, did the Green Bay Packers keep Favre? No. <laughs> Rod, when Rodgers was ready? No, they didn't. Uh, wasn't Jimmy G the guy that Tom Brady said, get out of town? Like, get him out of here? We like, know you your know. relationship with the internet can be complicated. This was a guy that, you know, he's really, he's a good player. He's a good competitor. The people in the locker room like him. You know, Tom was like, nah, don't want any of this. Belichick was thinking about building the future with this guy. So I'm not sure what the angle is here with the 49ers. I mean, by keeping him around, you know, you're, you're not giving Trey Lance the reins, in my opinion. Now it's like, well, if things aren't going well, Jimmy G could come back. If Trey Lance was to get hurt, you know, they're going to be asked for Jimmy G. So I think this is a tough situation. And now all season, we're going to all wonder, man, when is Jimmy coming in? It is a major, major pall, right? A major shadow cast over Trey Lance. Now, as we know, he only has six games to his record. 603 yards, five touchdowns, two picks. He's been getting first team reps. So they've been seeing, they've seen what he can do. And John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they have to have a little bit of hesitation. They need to have a little bit of pause if they're going the fully guaranteed route here. The six and a half mil 
the no cut the the no tag clause the no trade clause like they have they have put this squarely like into Jimmy's lap here and it, it just it, it is quizzical because like you're saying if they believe in Trey Lance that much this wouldn't happen at all right yeah, yeah, it just seems like a no-brainer. Like, if you're ready to move on... Then do it. Why are we keeping the, the other guy here? Like, why would we Why would we put the locker room in that situation? I mean, you've definitely got guys that, you know, just have respect for Jimmy G and have spent time with Jimmy G. This this kid, Trey Lance, he, he, he doesn't have any... He has nothing with these guys. Like... He's got to build that respect, and that respect's going to have this season. It's like when they run on the field, he's going to be Jimmy G's going to be running behind Trey Lance. I mean, let this is one year removed. Jimmy G was a starter last year. They got to the NFC title game. It's not like it's not like they they lost. Like they were a good team. I mean, they what they beat Dallas. They beat mm-hmm. Green Bay. Mm-hmm. They were an interception away from beating the Rams. And now you're going to go with a kid who was drafted last year. Just seems very, very strange to me that they would keep this guy around if indeed they were ready to move on. Absolutely. And it's not like Jimmy G is 37, 38. He's 30. He's still in, theoretically, in the prime of his career. And as a starter, 33 and 14. Like, can I... It, it, can I interest you in that? Like seventy-one touchdowns, thirty-eight picks. He wins. He he does. We talked he about he wins. He wins games. He wins games. You're telling me. You're telling me the Browns. The Browns didn't want Jimmy G to start before Deshaun Watson came back. You're telling me that the Colts preferred Matt Ryan over Jimmy G. Really? You're telling me the Commanders wanted Wentz over Jimmy G. You're telling me the Falcons. The Falcons didn't want Jimmy G. They really wanted Marcus Mariota. I mean, I find it hard to believe. Unless they're asking prices so high that people just walked away with it. I don't well, know. It's a combination of things, you, you figure, because he had shoulder surgery. Jimmy had Jimmy G did have shoulder surgery. Sean Watson yeah. had sexual assault charges, man. He still got a, he got a fat deal, traded for picks and everything. And that did not scare the Cleveland Browns. The fact that the, the fact that he could possibly be banned from the NFL did not scare the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns would rather have Deshaun Watson miss eleven games than trade for Jimmy G. Really? I don't get it. Really? Either. I don't understand the, it. The Carolina Panthers went out and got Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. and they had Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and they drafted a kid. They don't want to touch Jimmy G. I don't know. can't help but smile when you see a balloon. The simplest occasion is a party. Westchester Popstar is located in New Rochelle, New York, offers balloon styling and decor for all life's events. Birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, showers, school and corporate events, store openings, or just because. Westchester Popstars takes balloons and shapes them into works of art, creating decorative installations for your special occasions. No event is too big or too small, and their custom personalization service is top-notch. Westchester Popstars is a private studio 
quickly expanding. In-person consultation is by appointment only. Send an email to westchesterpopstars at gmail.com for more information or to schedule an appointment. No need to hire an event stylist. All you need is balloons. Currently servicing Westchester, Putnam, New York City, and Connecticut. To find Westchester pop stars, search for them on Instagram, Facebook, or Google. But sticking with football, the NFL listed their top 100 over the weekend with Tom Brady coming in at number one. There were a lot of other questionable rankings with TJ Watt over Miles Garrett, Joe Burrow over Justin Herbert. What did you think of the rankings? And should Brady be ranked number one? I mean, in our production meeting, we went over the list and I was scratching my head, right? At uh, Brady being included at number one. But the numbers don't lie. 43 touchdowns last year and 12 (laughs) picks. 43 and 12. 43. He threw almost as many touchdowns as he's been alive. Think about that. Yes, yes, precisely. So the more you think about it, the more you look into it, it doesn't seem as far-fetched. But Aaron Donald is all-worldly. He was number two. I, I can... If you were going to put somebody else up there, like, I wouldn't argue with Aaron Donald. Like, Aaron Donald's a beast. If you're looking at top five, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup had a great year. Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Rodgers was also there at number three. Uh, you know, the, those were kind of stretching it. Like, Jonathan Taylor deserved to be in the top five. Aaron Rodgers does Aaron Rodgers things. Cooper Cup, it, it's hard to say you're the best when you have that, when you're at a dependent position. So it's kind of, you know, for me, like, that that one is kind of like, it treads a little bit and it's just kind of like, eh, I don't know, you know, somebody has to get him the ball. It's not like Jonathan Taylor who has to make it happen or Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, they got to make it happen. Um, as far as other players that were a little bit higher than I thought or lower than I thought, like Debo Samuel was only at 19. I find that low. I mean, he pretty much revolutionized like a new position with this, you know, receiver back thing that he was doing last year. And, you know, he definitely deserved to be a little bit higher Russell Wilson at 66. Like, uh, you know, I I don't think... Uh, 61, excuse me. Like, Russell Wilson, that seems a little bit high. I mean, Jalen Waddle at 63. Like, eh, like I, again, a little too high. But overall, like, when you get to just like... When you, you start splitting hairs at some point and, it, you know, it's the NFL's list it's voted upon and people are going to think what they want to think. But like one thing that I do find interesting, Justin Tucker, right? The best kicker in the league right now, 94 out of a hundred. Like to me, that seems, that seems a little low for the best kicker in the NFL, but that's just me. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, of course Brady should be at number one. Not just because of a homer. 
No, but I mean, last year was a strange year. Uh, to be honest, I would rank Cooper Cup over Brady last year. Um, he had the triple crown in wide receiver, you know, for 2021. He had the receptions, the yards, and the touchdowns. Um, he was just him and Matthew Stafford's rapport were ridiculous. I know you, I know wide receiver is a dependent position. But so is quarterback, right? I mean, quarterback's probably the most dependent position. You know, you're depending on linemen. You're depending on wide receivers, catch your ball. There's a lot of things at play there. So I wouldn't, you know, handicap Cooper Cup because of that. Um, Brady had one of his best years as a quarterback, um, leading the league in yards, leading the league in touchdowns. Um, I'm okay with Brady ranking number one, but I really truly believe it was Cooper Cup's year last year as it was what? I think Derrick Henry's year two years ago. Mm -hmm. Some people just have outliers of seasons. Now, Tom Brady's ranked in the top 14, I think, since the debut of this list in 2011. You know, Cooper Cup was number 89 in 2020. I mean, he you want to talk about shooting up to the top. And not to mention, he also won the Super Bowl and he was pivotal on the last drive for the Rams in that Super Bowl. So, you know, I do think he was the top player of last year. I mean, Cooper Cup definitely had a stellar year. And you can say what you will about, you know, dependent versus non-dependent and how you, how you take into account, you know, and how you handicap and how you weight certain positions. Because if you look at it, like, where's the first offensive tackle, right? Trent Williams. Like, he falls at 14. So without a guy like Trent Williams, without a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who was on the list but way, way down the line... Yeah, jo- uh, you know Tom Brady doesn't. Tom Brady doesn't get forty-three touchdowns. You know, no. so right. you know it's it's hard to compare and quantify positions. I think it just I, well, I just think it comes down to what is this list of right? It's like we talk, we always talk about the MVP award. Like, who's the most valuable player to their team? You know, and then this is supposed to be well, who was the best player last year? If we're looking at best player, it's got to be someone who, you know, really crushed it in their position with whatever are the most important attributes. That's the way I would think of the who's the best player. So right away, it's Cooper Cup had the triple crown in all the receiving categories. Well, in, in the in the major receiving categories, and his team won the Super Bowl. Okay, Tom, Tom had at 44 years old led the league in touchdown passes and he's been a top 14 player since 2022. Yeah, it makes sense. Jonathan Taylor had a got a good season. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see how he could be one of those guys you would consider too. He led, I believe he led the league in rushing and led the league in rushing touchdowns. Um, but, you know, he, he, not that there were games where he disappeared, but his, you know, he, have other have other running backs had better years yeah right so that's the only thing it's it's argumentative it depends on what it means to you i don't think there's any there's definitely no wrong answer at least for this past season so that's why i'm okay with brady but cup would have been my guy okay so who would who would on your 
NFL top 100. This is D's NFL top 100. Who's taking the dip? Like who is high on this list, but wouldn't be necessarily high on your list? Uh, well, you know, I'm not a fan of TJ Watt. I'm really not. The dude misses games. Their defense was good. They weren't great last year. I mean, they had him at six. Uh, the people love that guy. Um, I thought Devontae Adams had a really good season. He probably could have been ranked even higher. Um, yeah, I, that, I would say my, num- my number one, the one person I probably had a problem with was TJ Watt. Like, number six, really? I don't know if he was he was that good. You know what I mean? No, it's totally fair. And for me, I'm looking at Jalen Ramsey. And I'm, yeah. compar- I'm comparing him to Trayvon Diggs of the Cowboys compared to... Compared to Jalen Ramsey, it's just like you get you're looking at that, and it's like he's only a 23. Like, meanwhile, Jalen Ramsey's that much better than him. I don't see that. I'm I'm not high on on uh, Jalen Ramsey. I haven't been his entire career. I always thought he he talked a bigger game than his game was. So I find that very interesting. And then you already mentioned Miles Garrett not in the top 10. Just like the hanging on. Like that is a little interesting that TJ Watt was there, but Miles Garrett is at 11. Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, too. Yeah, Yeah. Derrick Henry. He missed a lot of games. He did. They had him at like 12. Yeah. If I could get on board with that. Josh, Josh Allen probably could have been higher, too. He was at 13. So he, I think he definitely could have been a little bit higher. Like maybe you knock out Travis Kelsey or, you know, maybe you move down, maybe you move Ramsey out. Like you definitely, like I I thought that Josh Allen had a great year last year and he definitely was a little bit more deserving of a higher accolade. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is designed, this list is designed to get people talking, right? It's like water cooler material. For all the grill masters, green thumbers, home repair heroes, and DIY aficionados in the Richmond, Virginia area, if you're looking for a personal service quality products and a convenient shopping experience, look no further than Thacker Ace Hardware in Colonial Heights, Virginia. Owner Don Rackley and his team of local experts have everything you need to tackle all of your home projects. I'm talking paints by Benjamin Moore and Clark in Kensington, power tools by Craftsman and Milwaukee, electrical, plumbing, hardware and let's not miss the grill weber big green egg traeger blackstone top shelf amazing and for all you green thumbers their nursery department is fantastic give them a call today 804-766-4223 or stop by 27 dunlop village in colonial heights that's 804-766-4223 or Swing by 27 Dunlop Village in Colonial Heights. Thacker Ace is the place with the helpful hardware folks. This list was designed to get people talking, and the Knicks are getting a lot of people talking about basketball in August. They're making headlines the last few days as they are in pursuit of Donovan Mitchell, but they're also extending 
one of their guards in Andre Barrett. Now, Stephen A. Smith came on ESPN and said he, the Knicks need to sign Donovan Mitchell. Z, what do the Knicks need to do here? This is hard, right? Because you want the, you want the Knicks to be good at some point. You know, as a, as a resident of New York and as somebody who fondly remembers 1994 when you had the Rangers and the Knicks both in the finals of their respective sports, you want basketball to be relevant at Madison Square Garden. However, I don't necessarily know if Donovan Mitchell is worth the squeeze, right? I don't know if he's worth what you're going to give up to get. Career, 23.9, four and four and a half. So, not great. He's a scorer. He's a scorer. Like, they, they have him as a hybrid combo guard, but he's listed at that. He's a scorer. 24 points a game. Last year, he averaged 26. Danny Ainge is a very smart and savvy businessman. He's going to want a few young studs, and he's going to want a boatload of draft picks. I don't believe that either a combination of R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and Quentin Grimes, plus these picks, whether they're uh, they the pick swap is waived, whether they're lottery protected, the, the sheer volume, the sheer volume would scare me off of making that kind of move. And R.J. Barrett, he is improving. So kudos to him for getting his contract extension and getting uh, getting a raise. So last year, he played 70 games, averaged 25.8 and 3, so 26 and 3. He's a career 17 and a half point per game guy, but he's entering his fourth year in the league. Like, if he's going to take the jump, this would be the time for him to do so. And the Knicks have the leverage right now because they have they have the big-time assets, right? They have the long-term stuff. They have what Danny Ainge covets. Danny Ainge is trying to shed salary. He's trying to rebuild. Well, you need assets. You need pieces to rebuild. The Knicks really hold this card. And they don't have to make this trade if they don't want to. They can build around this young core, and then you can always go maybe lure another free agent besides the immortal Jalen Brunson, and maybe you can put together a team that you don't have to gut. The only thing that that I would like is if they somehow moved on from Evan Fournier, if they could somehow put him into the trade, but... Uh, I don't know. I, we will see what happens with that, but I think it's a little too rich for a Nick fan's blood. Yeah, I mean, I just think they need to move forward with the talent they have. Um, you know, you went out and got Jalen Brunson. You're bringing Andre Barrett back. He shouldn't be like part of, you know, he he shouldn't be part of a trade for Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell couldn't win with Rudy Gobert and. Um, in, in 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 Utah. So, what makes you think he's going to be able to come to New York and win here? Like, 
what he's gonna beat the Celtics. He's gonna beat the Raptors. He's gonna beat the Bucks. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna beat. He's gonna beat the 76ers. He's gonna beat the Heat. Like he's not a difference maker. He's a good player, but he's not. You know, his his best years, in my opinion, are behind him. Now he's he gonna put more people in the seats, maybe. But it always seems like the Knicks are trying always to go get a guard, right? Like they're always trying to go get that guard. Like I don't, I don't really get that move. And, and you're right. Like as far as Utah is concerned, they're looking for picks specifically unprotected ones like mm-hmm. Danny Ainge isn't stupid he's trying to rebuild the franchise we're tearing it down we're going to do what the Oklahoma City Thunder are doing we're going to start you know stockpiling draft picks and when we see a can't miss guy we're either going to trade up to get him or we're going to be in prime position to get him like that totally. and so you know you go into negotiating for Donovan Mitchell knowing this you can't possibly make a trade for this player. You're not going to mortgage your future so they can be better in the future. The best thing that the Knicks should hope to do right now is, you know, develop your young talent, attempt to make the playoffs, and see where it goes from there. Absolutely. I mean, let's look at this, right? You brought in guys around your core. So you brought in your Miles McBride. You have Miles McBride on this team. You have Manual quickly, you have you traded for Cam Reddish, who's only 22. That you guy. brought RJ Barrett, and you have Jalen Brunson, he's 25. Like him or not, he's here. <laughs> you extended Mitchell Robinson. You have guys like Jericho Sims, who have shown promise. Obi Toppin, who can dunk like nobody else, and he's improving as a player, but right now he's a dunker. The two main guys that stick out like a sore thumb and who really need to have better seasons this year, Julius Randle and Evan Fournier. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's definitely Julius Randle. I, I mean, Evan Fournier who is who he is. I mean, he's that's the, that's the player he is. That's who he's always going to be. But Randle has a chance to really embrace the city, embrace his role, and be a leader. I mean, he, he can definitely do that. That's what he has to do. I mean, it... The 180 between the love and adulation and then the absolute disdain was amazing, right? Just from one year's difference, I want to spend the rest of my life as a Nick. I want to be a Nick for life. That's great. Get me the fuck out of here. Get me the fuck out of here. It's like your head would spin as quickly as that happened. But, you know, the Knicks... The, the Knicks are not a great team. We can agree on that. Like, in a year, they could possibly be in that play-in tournament. Like, the, it's the East, right? It's the Eastern Conference. We've been, we've been lauding and we've been waiting for teams like the Bulls, the Cavs, the Wizards. The Knicks can compete with them. The Hornets, who are perennially, perennially on the outside looking in of that tournament. You know, the, the Knicks can compete with those kinds of teams and maybe they, you know, catch lightning in a bottle and they're able to sneak in. And that kind of confidence is what will entice a free agent to come here, right? Because the free agents are either going to want, they're going to want two things. They're going to want max money, which the Knicks will certainly, they will open up the purse strings. That's what they wanted to do. 
and they want a good young team where you can have an extended window to win. So those are the those are the two factors that should make the Knicks look enticing to a free agent. Now the problem is is that it just never seems to work out for whatever reason. And you know Stephen A. Smith is he is a longtime fan. He know, he understands the pain of being a Knicks fan, and he understands what that entails. And I understand his fr- frustration, but yeah, I I don't necessarily think. Donovan Mitchell makes the team as good as he thinks it is. Avoid messy accidents. Get better stopping power with your brake pads. Callahan brake pads. You never know when you'll be driving in the road and there will be a truck tire that you need to avoid and save your family. Callahan Auto. We really care about what's under your hood. But moving on to two teams that are as good as we think they are. We have a showdown at City Field that may end up being a potential NLCS preview. The Dodgers are in town to take on the Mets. Mets bullpen blew the game last night. Joely Rodriguez, a little cue shot to Freddie Freeman, and then all hell broke loose. We're going to see what they're made of in the rotation as DeGrom is dealing tonight and the Dodger bats will be formidable because they're formidable all the time. What are we going to learn from this series? What are our takeaways going to be? Well, I think we're going to find out just how much better the Dodgers are than the New York Mets. I know right now the Mets are leading the Dodgers 2-1. to one. But Like you said last night, the Dodgers won. Most would argue that the Mets pose the biggest threat to the Dodgers. But let's look at a few things, right? So the Mets have a three-game lead on the Braves. The Dodgers have a 19-and-a-half game lead on the second-place team in their division. Uh, the Mets are plus 127 in runs. The Dodgers are plus 286 in run differential. The Mets, uh, they have scored 607 runs. The Dodgers have scored 686 runs. It's a difference of uh, 70, 79 for everybody keeping track at home. Uh, the Mets have two guys batting 300 or around 300. The Dodgers have three guys. Mookie Betts has 30 home runs. Pete Alonso has 30 home runs. The Mets uh, team ERA is 3.55. The Dodgers team ERA is 2.83. So on paper, it's the Dodgers. I'm sure in the series that's being played this week, it's going to be the Dodgers. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers win the game tonight. The Dodgers are getting performances that are over their heads, right? Like if you're looking at Tyler Anderson. Never in a million years would you expect Tyler Anderson to have the record that he has this year. You know, Tony Gonsolin 16-1 when he went on the IL. Tyler Anderson is 13-2. Andrew Heaney had an ERA below 2 before last night. The Dodgers are getting performances from players that may not necessarily be sustainable come playoff time. 
And these are also guys that may or may not be in the rotation anyway. But it comes down to offense, offense, offense. The Dodgers are absolutely merciless. 262 batting average, 338 on base, 451 slugging. First place throughout across the board. They are easily the best offensive team in Major League Baseball, not just the National League, in Major League Baseball. And the Mets are certainly formidable in the rotation. It's the bullpen. It's all about the bullpen. Yes, you have DeGrom, great. You have Walker, pitched better. You have Scherzer, you're going to get Carrasco back. You have Chris Bassett. David Peterson has been solid. Tyler McGill was great before he went down. That's wonderful. But I do not feel comfortable. I do not feel comfortable at all running out guy, the likes of Adam Adovino. I understand he's having a great year this year, but in a big spot, I've seen Adam Adovino melt down with the Yankees. In the biggest spots, he comes up the smallest. Michael Givens, no chance in hell. Trevor May, <laughs> no chance in hell. Joely Rodriguez, dear God, I'm just glad it's not Miguel Castro. Like they made they made that trade with the Yankees, Castro for Rodriguez, headache for headache, and neither one, <laughs> neither one have performed. So basically, the picture I'm painting here is that the Mets need to go seven, the starters need to go seven. Lugo for the eighth, and even that is spotty, and then Diaz for the ninth. Like, that is what you have to do. Like, I trust Lugo in big spots more than anybody else in that bullpen outside of Edwin Diaz, but sometimes that can be, you know, my allegiance can be tested a little bit with Mr. Lugo. But then you look at the you look at the Dodgers bullpen, they're trotting out guys like Keith Hembry. You're bringing out Evan Phillips. Jake Reed got the save last night. Jake Reed, who had an 11 ERA and the Mets DFA'd his ass, and all of a sudden he's acting like he's, you know, some great shakes. It's just, you know, the bullpens are definitely, like, shaky. Definitely shaky. But I think we're going to see that the Mets are going to have the edge in the rotation, but the bats are going to come on late. And it very well could be an NLCS preview. And it doesn't look good for the Mets. It just it just doesn't look good. Realistically, it doesn't look good. The of all the playoff teams, currently, I wouldn't put I wouldn't stack anybody. I wouldn't stack anybody up against the Dodgers. I, I would argue that this is a World Series or bust team, just because they are so dominant. And they bludgeon people. It's just a bad combination. Looking to break into broadcast media, web development, social media marketing, or filmmaking? Then CSB is the program for you. From day one, you'll be trained hands-on by industry pros like friend of the show Rob Adams, whose goal is to get you trained and get you working in months not years. CSB offers 8 and 16 week programs in small class sizes designed to give you the personalized attention you need. If you can make it in person, there are five East Coast locations. 
If you can't, they offer virtual classes too. How great is that? And once you graduate, you become part of the alumni network that gets you to the front of the line. Trust me, I'm an alum myself. Go to GoCSB.com today, request more info, set up a studio tour, and who knows, you may very well be on your way to a career in broadcast media. That's GoCSB.com and tell them Z sent you. GoCSB.com. It's the in route where friends of the show get a special segment with us. Want to be part of the action? Want to be the newest member of the in crowd? You know what to do. Hit us up, faderoutemail at gmail.com or slide in those DMs on Fade Route Podcast on IG or hit that Twitter, FaderoutDNZ. Joining us on the in route today, we have former special teams coach and author of Figure It Out, Coach Mike Westoff. Thanks for coming on the show tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Sorry I'm late, but I'm, I'm happy to be here and uh, uh, appreciate your asking me. All right. Coach, we'll start you off with this. Uh, you've worked and coached against many legends over your storied career. Who brought out the best and worst in you? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I think the best is really pretty easy to answer, and that and and, and that's Don Shula, because Don had a a level he set a bar for himself and everyone, uh, very high, and you had to to really strive to to meet that to meet his goals. And so I would say in in most ways he brought out the absolute best in me. And I think he brought out the best in everyone. That just was, and he demanded it of himself. Um, as far as the worst, that, that's an interesting question. And um, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that there was anybody that I worked with that drug me down to a, po- a place where I thought sometimes they were. Um, and I, I worked for, for a few people that, uh, that I didn't have tremendous, uh, you know, there was a little bit of disdain, maybe you'd say, or whatever. Um, but I didn't let that affect me. I had a particular goal in mind. And I was going to strive to achieve it. And I didn't care who was on the other side of it. Um, so that part really, I don't believe, ever affected me. Um, but as far as raising you up, nobody liked Don Shula. He was the that's, best. He was that's a great, awesome. great, 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 uh, great experience for me to work with him. Now, if you were building the perfect coach, whose individual tributes would you take? Another good question. It's very different also. I've done a lot of interviews and I, I've never been asked about something like this. this is a good one. I'll tell you one that I'm going to, uh, you might be a little surprised right off the bat. And I don't mean just because I'm going to mention him first doesn't mean that he is first necessarily. But if you want to, uh, coaches have to be teachers. First of all, you have, you better have a real solid, uh, and, and solid's maybe not even the best word to use. You, you better really understand your subject. If you're going to be a good coach, you better know what the hell you're talking about. That's first. And, and to know it. And, and the guy that I watched in my 32-year career, that I watched on the field, that I thought was maybe the best teacher of what he was trying to present um, was Sean Payton. Wow. Sean Payton was good. I mean, I would stand there 
and watch him teach that offense. And believe me, I mean, uh, Pete Carmichael was the coordinator, but God bless Pete. He's a good man. But when it came time to on the field, you know, Pete should have been standing over there with me because, <laughs> I mean, because Sean Payton, I mean, and Pete's a heck of a coach. Don't get me wrong. He's good. But Sean Payton is, re he teaches everybody everything. And I would watch him walk through and go through a pass route and talk about a receiver. And he, he would explain to him, now, when the ball's on this hash, he said, if you'll come exactly to here, that back has to roll to you, and now you pull him out. And he said, Drew, there's the window. And I'd be watching the game, and I'm going to tell you what, it was exactly like that. I mean exactly. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, Drew Brees is a heck of a quarterback. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. He was with the best teacher that I ever saw that I ever saw on the field. Sean Payton could teach. So if you, you're you going to, um, I always believed that one of the things that I did very well is, is I, I presented things and taught things well on the in the classroom and on the field. I think that, that was a real strength of mine and I demanded a particular amount. But if you're going to, uh, then if you want to go a step further as far as building that great coach, then you get a guy like Don Shula that knew all parts of the game, but yet did it with such great integrity. I mean, there was no cheating on Don Shula's part. You know, you never heard of, of you know, some type of filming someone else's coaches or, you know, some of the things <laughs> that have gone on. Not with that guy. He was first class in everything he did. And he also, you know, for all the, the dignity that he had, we had a very tough football team. We were, you know, he, he believed in that. You know, he wanted to be a tough team. And, and so I loved that. So I think, and then his whole knowledge of the game, you know, his managing the clock, timeouts, challenges, being able to walk into a room and, and take it over, whether it was special teams or defensive backs or whomever. Don Shula could do that, and he studied it. And if he didn't really know it, then he made sure he did. That's what That was the key to him. And so I think that desire to, be, to have that tremendous knowledge of your subject, uh, if you're going to get the great coach, I think that's part of it. Then as far as on the other side, sometimes presenting it, you know, presenting things. Believe it or not, and this may sound a little silly to you, and I hope people wouldn't take this the wrong way. To be a good coach in the National Football League, you have to be a little tiny bit, and I'm being kind there, of an entertainer. Because of the fact that you've got that, um, you know, you, you, you've got a tough classroom sitting in front of you all day, every day, and you can bore them to death. So sometimes you've got to be a little creative. You know, you've got to have a little bit of zip. Sometimes you have to make them laugh a little bit. And I don't mean by being a comedian. I mean, just by being a real person and, and then being able to sometimes bring up a touchy subject or a deep subject or not let you be to acquiesce. Because sometimes these guys, if you're not careful, they, they can run the room. I, I never, I think that's something I was very good at. I think I was a good teacher in that regard because I, I could do a lot of different things in my presentation and I had fun with it and I was extremely demanding. But I think if you'll ask, uh, and I, I, there's some of them were quoted in my book that they thought I was the, the my, 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 my classrooms were the best they were ever in. And I, and I firmly believe in that. So there's some ingredients, but a guy on the field, guy gets it across on the field. No one ever better than Don Shula. But right there, as far as getting his message, Sean Payton, you want to be a good coach, figure out how he does it.
Again, we're on the in route with legendary head coach Mike Westoff. You can find him on Facebook under Mike Westoff and on Instagram under ST Coach Mike. Uh, you're responsible for the evolution of special teams game. And we've seen the NFL phase it out because of fate of player safety. Mm-hmm. If you were named the NFL special teams czar, what changes would you make to bring back the excitement of special teams while ensuring player safety? Good question. Another good, another good one. You're, you're going to get hired on ESPN if you're not careful. We're trying. Yeah, you should, you should be. I'm telling you. Um, okay, I'll give you one right off the bat. That and actually, I've talked to representative from the NFL office about this. Uh, right now, uh, field goals are being made at a um, almost unusually high rate. Uh, the PATs had gotten ridiculous. They were, you know, they were at about, I think it was 99.6%. And then we moved it back to the 15 yard line. Actually, I was involved with that in that with Joel Busser. Uh, So you can blame me for that one. I had a lot to do with that change. Um, Okay. First of all, what you have when you look at a field goal today, and if you're, if you're root for a team that doesn't have a field goal kicker, that's kicking in the 90 percentile somewhere, well, then you better go get another guy because you're in trouble. Because if you take a look, first of all, you've got a friendly ball. The ball's legal. It's not illegal. It's checked by the officials. It's 13 pounds per square inch. But the ball's buffed up. Equipment guys go in and they buff it up. They shine it up like they're shining your shoes. And so it's a very friendly ball. It's friendly. It's not illegal, but it's friendly. Okay. Question for you. When's the last time you saw a bad snap? Oh, hardly ever. Yeah. Thank you. You're right. Hardly ever. Because the fact that the rules have changed so much. You can't line anybody up on the snapper. You can't drive into them. You know, some of it was done ridiculously so back in the day. And, you know, there were some of us that really fought against that. And um, I remember talking to a coach at a particular team. I, I know you maybe you won't believe this, but they had a thing where they would take a defensive lineman and line him up on the other team's long snapper and just pound him. Yeah. And they weren't trying to block the kick. They were just trying to beat the hell out of the guy. I, I asked the coach before the game, what he thought he was doing with that. I said, that's not football. And I said, first of all, I'll give you two things are going to happen. If you do it to us, my guard is going to hit your guy and he'll be getting operated on tomorrow. I said, and I'm going to find you after the game and beat the shit out of you. (laughs) I don't know if I, I I don't know if I could have back then I was, but back then I I probably could have today. I I probably couldn't, but back then I think I could have anyway, that's just not football. All right. So some of the rules were necessary. But now, long snappers look like high school phys ed teachers. No disrespect. That's yep. what they are. So the snap's perfect. Everybody's learned how to hold. All right? So you catch, they keep their back knee up. They catch the ball. They bring their inside elbow into the inside part of that knee. That puts the ball down perfectly on the spot. So you've got a perfect hold almost every time. Get-off times from snap to kick have reduced from about 1.3 seconds to about 1.26, maybe 2.7. So it's hard to get there. All right. You're not allowed to push. You can't line up on the center and you can't have anybody pushing inside. You can't use leverage. In other words, I can't push down on an offensive lineman and jump over him because that's leverage. So that's illegal. If I were going to make one change to make it a little bit different, I would not let the, 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 the guards or, and tackles uh, and tight ends interlock their legs. I would let the guard interlock with the center. But everybody else would have to line up shoe to shoe. They couldn't interlock their legs. They would have to step to a position of interlock. So they'd have to 
anchor their outside foot and step with their inside foot. Now, that's not a big, big deal, but it'll make it a little tiny bit tougher on the protection and you'll see an increased number of field goal blocks. So, and when that happens, kickers get a little nervous and the percentage will drop slightly. So I want to make that just a little tiny bit tougher. That's one small thing. All right. I'm, I'm going to give you them all because now I'm going to be the czar. You gave me the role. Love it. I'm go go for it. Go for all it, coach. Right. You know, they play with two balls now, basically three balls, because the kickers all use the same ball that's brought in by the referee. They check it out. They, I think they have six balls. They blow them up. He, you know, he, he, he initials them first of all. They blow them up, and then they give the, then the kickers have, or the equipment guys have a little bit of time to work on them. They usually work on three pretty well, and then they, the others are just a little bit. But anyway, so you've got a friendly ball there. Then the offense uh, of each team brings in, I, I think, I'm not, I want to say 10 balls. It might be eight. I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. Uh, but they bring them in, and the the official checks them for pounds per square inch and lets them use them. So those balls that the offense uses, I mean, your, your girlfriend can have it for a week. Nobody cares. That's <laughs> just what it is. You know, now they got in, you know, Tom Brady got in the trouble where he was accused of letting a little air out of the ball, you know, and, and I, I frankly believe that, that they did that because the equipment guy could take that ball with the needle and just, you know, you'd have it right where you want it so to me it's no big deal i think if if it were the case i kind of believe it was but i'm not really sure if it were i think in the off season if guys like that had gone to the league and say you know we'd like to have a range of air in this ball going from say 13 maybe down to 11.5 or something you know just a little tiny bit i think the nfl would have said yes I think they would have agreed, but you know, so that's another thing. Okay. I would use three balls. I would have a ball just to kick off. The officials would take it right out of the box, blow it up to 13 and nobody would touch it. Nobody would touch it. Only the official. Every time there's a kickoff, he brings this Mike Westoff ball out there and say, okay, kick this one. Cause it will not compress as well. So instead of landing at the minus five, it'll come down at the plus three and you'll put the return without having to change one rule that they've put in for safety. All the rules and that's why I'm out of the, the game for what am I going to teach anymore? Because all the stuff that I did is illegal today. Yeah. Well, the kickoff return, you know, it used to be, we had, you know, you could double team, you could trap, you could wedge, yep. you could lead, you could see seal. There's a million things. That's all illegal today. You have to line up straight five by five. You can't do all that coverage stuff. I used to love to do so. You know the the innovation part of that is pretty much been, been been diminished. It's not diminished. It's pretty much gone. Anyway, that ball would put the play back in the game. What I want to see happen is I want that special teams coach to be sitting in his office at night with a notebook or tablet like I used to do and be drawing up a million plays till he found the one he wanted. Right now they don't have to do that. I think they can go home for dinner for crying out loud. For what I saw, <laughs> and from what I, I mean, just you don't have enough plays. Right. You know, I used to do an 80 page game plan, 80 pages. Now it was a game plan, scouting report, depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. But it was 80 pages. I think you could do it on the back of a matchbook now. That's just how I feel. I'm disappointed. Though so I, I, I would change the ball. I'm going to put the play back in the game. I don't believe that's going to happen because I think they're so concerned with the injuries. I, I believe if you, if the play would become more like a punt return, it would take away 
the vicious collisions that we used to have and you but you'd still have a play i don't like the i don't like it now because it's basically become a non-play a non-play yeah, absolutely right? we definitely there's, there's the second thing i know this you go back and think about this guys you know when i when i was with the new york jets um my first 10 years we're in the playoffs 60 percent of the time i don't think we go in the playoffs one time of those years if we weren't a viable contributor in the kicking game we made enough difference that it helped us win enough games it gave us an edge to get in the playoffs i'm i'll, I'll fight that with anybody i firmly believe that it helped us yeah there were lots of other reasons yeah we had curtis martin come on he was good we were a good team but that helped us now they've taken that away go back i'll give you a game see if you guys remember this one we beat indianapolis peyton manning's last game and then we go on to the next round of the playoffs. Remember that? We beat them? Okay. Yep. We're up yes. at Indy, and they score and go ahead. They go ahead by a couple points, and they had to kick off. And I knew, I knew he was going to try. He hooked the ball, and I knew he'd kick it over to our right side. He was going to try to get a touchback, but I knew he couldn't do it. It would come down about five deep. And uh, Brad Smith had gotten hurt, and I put in Antonio Cromartie. We ran a Miami right. We doubled their five. We ran a four-man, two-two wedge type thing, and we ran up to midfield. We completed a pass, kicked the field goal, and went to the next game in the playoffs. If you're playing under today's rules, that ball would have been kicked out of the end zone. We would have never had a chance to run up to the field. We wouldn't have had time to get down and score, and the New York Jets would have lost the game. Oh, it's a, it, it really is a lost art, and the way you know the way that you know, you've taught it and the way that you describe it and figure it out, it's it's very clear that the NFL is trying to marginalize the special teams play. But, you know, we know that you have your Westoff guys, you know, you're you have a list of <laughs> the, in your book that like you have you have your guys. Yes. Now, looking at the current landscape of special teams, coaches and players, are there is there anybody out there that you would consider a Westoff guy? Oh sure, sure there are. Sure, I, I don't know all the guys like I, I used to. You know, even when I worked the media, I don't study it. But yes, there are. There's still quite a few that are out there, and um, I, I would know very quickly. I usually can tell them when I watch them play, and when I talk to my friends that are still coaching, you know, I'll talk to them about guys, and they'll fill me in on somebody to keep an eye on and things like that. So yes, there are. One that that I kind of missed during my career, I would I had him in a, a Pro Bowl actually. I would have loved to have coached him um, was Steve Tasker. I mean, because yeah. he he just could dominate the game. He was my kind of guy. He could do everything, and nobody cared how big he was. He just wrecked the game. He wrecked the game. So yeah, there's there's still plenty of those kind of guys out there. There are not as many as there were. I've talked to a number, actually a couple of guys um, got head coaching jobs and called me. I thought one of them was really pretty smart, actually. Not just the fact that he called me, but he had some great questions. <laughs> and he said, he said to me, he said, you know, Mike, if you were in the business today, how would you configure your roster? I said, I said, I'm going to tell you what. I said, that's you're 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 pretty smart. I said, you, you're liable to win some games. You're not careful here. I said, um, I said, you you can't have a whole team of peanuts like I used to have. I always had five, six, seven guys. You know, I think they weren't they weren't big guys, but they were they were good special teams players. You can't do that today. You can only have a couple. 
though I said I would really fight for. I said the defensive line coach would love me because if he wants to dress six, I'm going to give him eight. If he wants to dress seven, I'm giving him nine because I want to take an extra couple defensive linemen. They'll be pass rush type guys, and I can find perfect roles for them in the way the special teams game's being played today. I'll take an extra tight end. That guy's going to love me. So, you know, but I'll give up maybe a defensive back or a linebacker. I'll give up a spot or two. You know, I'll fight like hell for a particular wide receiver. I may want to take an extra one, but he might be a, a guy that, you know, plays more for me. I said, so I, I would reconfigure the roster. I mean, I can, it's going to be different. It can't be the same. And I hear some of the special teams coaches, you know, that I know they're talking about, oh, I can't keep this guy and can't keep that guy. And I'm thinking, I wish the hell I were playing you. I, I could beat you with my eyes closed. <laughs> so you, you can't think that way. You just can't. You know, you have to stay with the game. I'll give you one more. You you cut my czar thing off. Now I still got one more for you. Okay. Yeah. Okay, one more. All right. I'm going to make one more. One more. Uh, on the punt, a team punting the football, their widest guy, most people call them gunners. We always called them flyers because Coach Shula called them flyers and he was smarter than anybody else. So they're flyers. Anyway, <laughs> I would not let them line up any closer to the sideline than one yard below the number. I would not let them go out and line up on the sideline like you see so many do today. They release straight down the field and then they get hit. And then that careens them out of bounds. And then they use the sideline to protect them. So they run a particular way out of bounds. Now they have to angle like they're coming back in. That's the rule. But they get protected for a pretty good ways. And you can't go out after them. Back when I first started, if you initiated contact inbounds, you could sustain it out of bounds. Right. So, like you read in the book, you know, right. Kerry Glenn and Lewis Oliver, who were the best double vice guys that ever did it in the history of the NFL, um, would would actually grab the guy and run him out and throw him right over top of the Gatorade table. That's it. <laughs> throw him right over the table. And they were, now we were we were really physical. We were tough. Now we played hard, and they just they beat the hell out of them. But the rule it was legal. They that was, they they changed that because of us. But uh, <laughs> we did it. We had a, we had a, we had a time one time when I was uh, I was at Miami actually. And we were playing the Colts in Indianapolis. The Colts were punting the ball from the twenty yard line, and we had a particular technique where one guy would step and the other guy would attack, and that we were trying to draw the attention of the gunner. You want to call him? Well, we did it, and they they smacked them and grabbed them, and they ran them backwards, straight back into the end zone, out of the end zone, and believe it or not, they threw him into the kicking net. And he got stuck in the net. And he couldn't get out. <laughs> and so we had a film. I showed a film for years. I said, "You want to play for me? This is how. This is how we play." And we threw the guy in the net, and he was stuck in the net. It was the greatest. I love it. We kept showing. I said, "There, you want to play? This is how I want to play, because we're gonna. We're pretty tough." And so I, I would make that change. Now, what it'll do? It'll help the return because it's going to help the double out there on you know on the punt in 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 the NFL. Only the the guy on the end of the end of the formation can release when the ball snapped, and everybody else has to wait till the ball's punted. Unlike college, which has taken that play totally out of the game, so they they have no kicking game in college football. Anyway, um, that would it would help that. Also, if you were lined up there with two guys out there and you had the ball on that on that hash, and you wanted to punt that direction, that one of those guys can become a rush factor. So that's going to make it. You're going to have to account for that guy now. 100%. So you're mm -hmm. going to. You're. You're just. What you're doing is you're helping put the punt return play 
back in the game. You know, you're making it a more viable part of the game because it's been it's it's kind of been taken out of the game. So, you know, my if you ask me, like I'm the czar, I'm glad you asked that because that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad you, that gave me a chance to, to expound because I, I really believe in these things. And, and all I'm trying to do is, as you said, I want to keep the game safe. I, I'm not interested in going back to where it was when I started. I, I'm not. Um, but yet at the same time, I want to keep it alive. I don't want non-plays. I want to keep it alive and make it a viable part. I want to have a chance to make a play that helps win the game, not make a play. You know, I, I talked to the special teams coaches at the combine and I talked to them and I, they brought me in to talk with them. And I, I let them know, I said, you know, you guys are sitting in the seats that, you know, I'm, I can get pretty cocky and they most of them, I don't have that many friends. I said, you know, I helped create those seats. So you're you're lucky you're sitting in a damn seat. But I helped make it. Uh, and I said, and some guys like me that were darn good coaches, we made those seats. I said, but pretty soon an owner is going to walk in to the general manager and a head coach. And he's going to say, why am I paying this guy a million dollars a year when he's coaching eight plays? I said, and you better have an answer because right now that's where you're headed. Now, needless to say, they, you know, they don't, they think I'm a little crazy, but, but the difference is I'm right and they're not. So, you know, they got to fight to keep the thing alive. And that's what you brought up a really good point. And frankly, I'm glad you did. So thanks for giving me the chance. (laughs) Of course, coach, you know, you have a certain amount of expertise and uh, we definitely, the NFL would be foolish not to listen to a man who revolutionized the position of special teams like you did and the coaching of special teams but in your book figure it out available at target books a million barnes and noble audible kindle amazon you can buy amazon amazon, can- amazon gets it probably the quickest or through the publisher which is uh, mascot publishing you can go to mascot publishing and they'll deliver it right to your house there you go you have a wide net to get this book and it's fantastic and in this book you speak very highly of Saints quarterback turned tight end Taysom Hill as an all-around football player, not just as a special teams player or as a quarterback. How do you think he's going to do as a tight end? And what do you think, what do you feel his ceiling is as a, as an NFL player? <laughs> I just sent him a text yesterday. I said, tell them to quit calling you a tight end. <laughs> I said, you're, you're an H-back. You're an H-back. You're the best hybrid player in football. There's no one that can do the things he can do. You know, I had a couple guys like that that were, you know, Jim Jensen was the first guy that ever did it. Remember back with the Dolphins, Jim Jensen, he was great doing it. And of course we had, we had Brad Smith that could do all those things. Now, but Taysom Hill takes it to a new level because he's not only so strong, he's so fast. Now he's a four, four guy. He can really run. He can run and he can throw, he can throw. So, you know, to me, and he's tough as nails. He's tough. I mean, I love them as a, as, as a, a multiple uh, source guy. I remember one time I was watching practice and um, before practice in the receipt, our linebacker coach had his linebackers in there before practice. And he was working against a couple guys, some scout team guys running pass routes. And he had Taysom Hill running pass routes against his guys. Well, nobody could cover Taysom Hill. Nobody. He killed it. He was killing those linebackers. 
So Sean Payton came in over and came over to me, said, Mike, what are you doing in here? I said, I'm, I want to watch this draw. I want to see how this looks. And he said, what do you think? And I said, well, you see Taysom Hill. I said, watch him a couple times. I said, I know this is Taysom's first year. This was his first year, 2017. I said, if you're not careful, he's going to make this division forget McCafferty. I said that. Now, Sean looked at me like I was nuts. He started to laugh. He said, well, when you like somebody, you really like them. I said, well, you wait and see, because this is really a football player. I said, he can do it all. You know, he, I mean, as far as, you know, he can, he can snap, he can hold, he can kick, he can punt, he can catch punts, he can return kickoffs. He can do everything. The guy's just a good football player. I think he'll do really well as, you know, you call him the tight end, of course, I'm just teasing, but as kind of the H-back type guy that moves all over and does those different roles. Um, Hopefully he can stay healthy because he's had a little bit of a pension of getting injured. He had a rib injury early in camp, but uh, he's a great guy. He's tough. Um, I love him. He's he's one of my favorite guys, and I had a ball with him, and and, uh, I'm so proud that I had uh, such a role in getting him started and giving him a chance because and, until I came along and kind of discovered him, he had never dressed. He had never put a uniform on. And uh, he did. He, he did after that. Wow, was he good. So I think he'll do great. I think he'll do just great. It, that is, you know, you, you have the eye for talent, Coach. There is uh, there is no doubt that, uh, that you have the eye for talent. And uh, we'll get you out of here on this one. People may not know, you know, they just see you on TV, they see you coaching, but you have a master's degree in education with a concentration in psychology. Yeah. So what, what advice would you give to up and coming t- coaches and teachers? The, what would you give them in order to be successful in their roles? That's, that's, that's another good one. Uh, first of all, young guys, what they should do, they should go out and buy my book. Yeah, uh, that's right. It's not Absolutely. just from me. You're, you're not learning it from me. You're learning what I learned from Don Shula, you know, uh, the, the, all the coaches I worked with, you know, the players I, I was with, Dan Marino, you know, I mean, the things that Dan did, you know, Woody Hayes, Bear Bryant, Bob Knight, you know, Bill Walsh, Mike Ditka, <laughs> Al Davis, and this is who I learned from. So you, you want to learn a little bit about the game. You're not just listening to Mike Westoff tell the story. You're, you're, you're just learning what, what, what I learned from the best, some of the best people that ever did it, that ever did it. So I, I would do that. But also, I think what you have to do is, is be varied in your education. And then one thing I, I learned, and I, I remember talking to Woody Hayes, actually, I, I was, he just impressed me with how, how well read he was and how he could talk on different subjects. I'm thinking, you know, this guy's pretty smart. I mean, he, no wonder he's, a, you know, I know he loses his temper and he starts wanting to kill you, but but he's a, <laughs> he's a bright person. So, you know, to me, I always wanted to be able to, 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 be able to express myself in a thousand different ways. You know, I, I wanted, I, I was proud that I have a master's degree and most of it's just psychology. It's, I'm not a clinical, you know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what's wrong with you. But I, I think I can tell, you, tell people how to learn, you know, what makes them learn and, and what not to do. And, and I, I constantly used stories and quotes and exa- all types of things. I love doing that. And I think that's part of being a coach is being able to present it and then being smart enough to look around and to see what, what makes your team work. I went to a high school practice the other day here down here 
Um, good team. Good matter of fact, I'm going to go watch them play Friday night. And I'm watching the practice, and I, I wanted to just run out and start and scream. Would you get this thing moving? Let these guys go home. Yeah. You know, they, it was just like it, it was agony. And let's go. You know, everything and it's it's a thousand degrees. It was a million because you know down here it's always hot. And yeah. uh, I'm thinking these poor kids. You know, this practice is going to go one hour at least more than it should go. Mm. That's just I just so you know those types of things. Or find a role for somebody. Don't be afraid to try something. So we had a high school coach that did a great job with that. We had a young man that was a big, heavy guy. I mean, you know, he's probably 5'10", and he weighed 300 pounds or whatever. God bless him. And, and Coach went down and got his pads and a helmet from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he could give this kid a chance. Uh, you know, you know, and, and he gave him a chance to play. He was no all-star. But he could play. You know, I think if you're going to be a good coach, particularly if you start on a lower level, football's a game that everybody can play if you're tough enough. You know, it's not, God bless it, now, no disrespect, but it's not soccer. You know, you get knocked down, they take you off in one of those harnesses, please, and I want to throw up. <laughs> it just, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love the athleticism, and I love it. I, I think I, I went to watch a, a real professional soccer thing this year. I think I could really help the game. All you got to do is shrink the field and shrink the time. You'd have a great game. I mean, I get that big field. You know, you can't even, you got to have a horse to run over there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, come on, shrink the field. I, I'd shrink it by a, I'd shrink it by a fourth and I'd cut, and I'd, I'd cut a fourth off the time. Now you're going to have a really good game that, that, that I would like, because right now best game is football Yep. because it's so, it's so athletic and so academic, but everybody can play a little skinny kid. He can find a place. Guys, a little 100%. bit heavy. Okay, so what? I got a place for you. If you're a high school coach and you don't think that way, now you should go do something else. I don't know. Go go teach somewhere. Do something else. Because uh, that's what it's about. Though I think sometimes my degree helped me see things in different fashions. You know, I believed that um, I, I used to follow the teachings of a of, of, of a uh, psychologist, a guy named Haim Janot. He was an Israeli. And he dealt mostly with children. And he believed that if you treat children in a manner in which you see them becoming, the chances of them becoming that are so much greater than if you're just constantly critical. He said, you know, they, yeah, they come in and they do bad in school. And, oh, you're a dummy. Well, they're probably, they might end up being a dummy. You know, I used to look out at that classroom and believe me, now I had all types of guys. And they weren't all, you know, academic. The prowess was limited sometimes. But I just said, I'm going to find a way. Okay, he's a little slow. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way to teach him. You know, I'll, I'll figure something. I'd bring him in extra. I'd put him with Ben Kotwika. You know, make him sit there and we'd study and get it down and, you know, teach him ways to do things. Then I started drawing everything. So instead of running two kickoff returns like everybody else did, I'd be able to run 12. Because I could, you know, I'd be able to sit there and, you know, uh, talking to you, Damon, I'd be able to say, all right, now remember now on this one now, da, 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 you, you wouldn't make a mistake. You got it perfect. And next thing you know, Leon Washington's running for a touchdown. So I think that that's important. And I want to get a diversified education and I want to find all these different ways to help these guys learn and then coach them the right way and be safe and be smart. Don't be stupid. Don't be doing some stupid drill. 
you know, running guys like the stuff I used to have to do when I was playing. And no wonder I've had about a thousand concussions, but I'm still here. I, I'm still pretty smart, at least relatively. Um, so that's what I think. I, I really believe that. So I think my education in that regard really helped me and it helped me figure things out. Um, I, di I didn't placate. I'm not, the, I wasn't the easiest guy to play for. I could be tough, but I was very fair. And I, uh, and I have the deepest, deepest respect for players because football's a tough game and you get beat up. Now, for me, I think my medical background helped me a little bit as a coach because I learned how to live with being pretty uncomfortable. And I still do. And I live a pretty good life. But I learned how to do it by being uncomfortable. And that's what playing football is about. Because trust me, you're uncomfortable when you play that game. You're, you just get beat up. That's the reality. A hundred percent. And the reality is, figure it out. Coach Mike Westhoff, it's a fantastic book. Go to Target. Go get it on Amazon, Audible, through Mascot Books. Wherever you get your books, get this book and read it. Because you are, you are going to learn something, whether you are going to get it from an educational standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. It is fantastic. Coach Mike Westhoff, thank you so much for coming on. It is much appreciated. And hopefully, you know, we can have you on again soon. And everybody, make sure you go on Coach's socials. So that's at ST Coach Mike on Twitter, Mike Westhoff8052 on Instagram, or Mike Westhoff on Facebook. Follow them all. It's a he's a great follow. And the book was amazing. Coach. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to be a member of the in route, hit us up fade route mail at gmail.com. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'll have a scale that helps me with the social media. I'm, I'm not real good at it. I work at it, but I'm a little slow. Hey, I'm sorry. I was late guys. Thank no, you, you for, for putting up with me and uh, I'll, I'd be happy to do it again. Maybe when the season gets going, we'll see some things we want to talk about a little bit. And, uh, and thank you for talking about the book. I'm very, very proud of it. There's a lot of medical things in there. I'm I'm very you know fortunate of being in uh, New York and having the you know exposure to a great place like Sloan Kettering. And uh, what was done for me is absolutely astounding. And I'm very very fortunate and very proud. So thanks guys and thanks for having me on. Can you take the championship from DNZ this year? You can play our football pick'em on CBS Sports and compete against us in the option every week. Check the link in our Instagram bio, Fade Route Podcast, for all the details and to sign up. Then tune into the Fade Route every week until the Super Bowl for updates and standing. Bring it on. The Fade Store presents the Alleged Superstar of the Week Award. All right, boys and girls, you know what time it is. It's time for the Alleged Superstar of the Week. We put up a poll on our Twitter page at FadeRouteDNZ, and you vote, and you vote, and you vote, and you vote. And the winner gets a shout-out on this here podcast and takes home the coveted-ass trophy. And do you know who took home the coveted-ass trophy? I don't. I don't. The Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo 
bills, like we just mentioned previously in our mail route segment. You got some explaining to do, boys and girls, up there in Orchard Park. But that was last week. This was this week. Who you got, D? Who are your nominees for Alleged Superstar of the Week? All right. First up, I have Robert Sala, head coach of the New York Jets. You said Chris Strebler had the best preseason in the history of the National Football League, and then you cut him. Really, coach? He can't play on your team? He can't play on your last place team? If the best preseason player ever can't make the Jets roster, then why do we play a preseason? Robert Sala, you are my alleged superstar of the week. Number two, the Dallas Cowboys front office. You cut backup quarterbacks Ben DiNucci, Cooper Rush, and Will Greer, leaning, leaving Dak as the only quarterback on the roster? Don't you want someone with some experience in this offense to be the backup on a quarterback that gets hurt every year? Dallas Cowboys front office, you are my alleged superstars of the week. And last, and certainly the least, the 49ers front office. You tell Jimmy G <laughs> to go find a trade partner because you're going forward with Trey Lance. He's the future of your organization. But then Jimmy G can't find a trade trade partner. Trey Lance is not playing so well. You sign him to a team-friendly and player-friendly deal. What are you doing? Is Trey Lance the future or not? 49ers, you are my alleged superstars of the week. What do you got, Z? All great choices. All excellent choices. I'm going to start with the Las Vegas Raiders. Cutting Alex Leatherwood after... A, an abysmal training camp an abysmal rookie year but that's not why you're the alleged superstar of the week this is actually the alleged superstar of the past three years <laughs> you brought in Henry Ruggs had to cut him because of the DUI and the hit and run Damon Arnett you had to cut him because of multiple traffic incidents You have not hit on a draft pick. No one that you have taken in the draft since you have moved to Las Vegas is still on the team. How did you do that? Las Vegas Raiders, you are my alleged superstar of the week. Baker Mayfield, in in a sideline interview during the Panthers-Bills game, you said you were going to, quote, fuck him up in reference to <laughs> in reference to your week one matchup with your jilted ex. Oh, wait, no, you're the jilted ex if you're going to be fucking them up. Baker Mayfield, you don't have the right to have bad, hurt feelings over this. If you played well enough, You'd still be there. Baker Mayfield, you are my alleged superstar of the week. G. Bus. In a recent interview, a lot of talking. A lot, a lot of talking this week from my candidates. In a recent interview, Jeannie Bus actually had the nerve, the temerity, the hooks by the balls to say that Russell Westbrook the guy that they're considering sending home or sending out of town 
was the best Laker last year. There's one Mr. LeBron James who did a double take when he heard that. It's like a record scratch. Like, what? Genie Bus, keep your foot out your mouth. You are my alleged superstar of the week. And last but not least, I got four. Jake Reed. Not really a superstar, but I just feel like talking about this guy again. You had an 11 7 5 ERA when the Mets DFA'd you. And you celebrated like you won the World Series after getting the third out last night in the 4 3 Dodger victory. Son, act like you've been there before. Because you have been there before. You've been DFA'd so many times. You've been on the waiver wire a lot. And you may end up being on the waiver wire again. Don't overdo it. Less is more, Jake. Jake Reed, you are my alleged superstar of the week. I think we've said our piece. Go to our Twitter poll and vote. And vote. And vote. And vote. And for our nominees. Just do better. Just do better. Your favorite podcast has its own merch line now. Go to the Fade Store with DNZ.com today for all your Fade Route merch needs. I'm talking tank tops, t-shirts, sweatshirts, like yoga pants, we got those too. Like some cool accessories, we got those too. And we're not done yet. We have so much more planned for you, but check out what we have today at the Fade Store with DNZ.com. That's the Fade Store with DNZ.com. Order up! We have finally reached the end of our division by division preview for this coming NFL season. So, without further ado, it is time for us to order up. Order up, order up! The AFC East. Here we go from four to one. Who you got, Dick? Oh, well, I got your favorite cellar dweller, the New York Jets. Joe Flacco is starting next week against the Baltimore Ravens. Need I say more? They're coming (laughs) in at number four. Number three, the New England Patriots. I'm concerned with uh, Mac Jones. I'm concerned with the coaching staff. I'm concerned with their play calling. So I got them at number three. Number two, I got the Miami Dolphins. Listen, it comes down to Tua, but they certainly have all the weapons and a ton of offense and defense uh, play. They have a good one-two punch at corner. I know Byron Jones is starting the season on the pup, but he'll be back. Xavier Howard's a beast. Number one, it's Buffalo. The defense is there. The wide receiver is there. The quarterback is there. I also think this is this is the year for the running back room to take a big step forward. They have Singletary, but they also drafted James Cook, and he's beat out Zach Moss for the backup job. So I got Buffalo number one. We got Z. Oh, it's hard to argue against that list. It, it really is. 
It really is. I mean, the Jets have definitely made strides, right? They've brought in a few pieces. They brought in Garrett Wilson. They brought in uh, Sauce Gardner. They they have improved. I mean, they were four and thirteen, so anything would be an improvement. But still not enough to escape the seller. So fourth place, they're definitely going to be improved this year. Maybe a six-win team. I'd say that's fair, a six-win team. Third place, I'm going to go with the Dolphins just because I do not trust Tua Vailoa. Not to mention that if Tua gets hurt, they're going to go to Teddy Bridgewater, who's also injury-prone. So this offense, as loaded with talent as it is, it may not necessarily get off the ground because of the quarterback. And who's to say that this might be the writing on the wall for Mr. Tunga Bailoa? Second place, but definitely taking a step back this year, the New England Patriots. I'm not in love with what they did in the offseason. Yes, they got they have Devontae Parker, but Belichick's drafts, it's the stuff of legend now for all the wrong reasons. He's for some reason he just can't get the magic back. He just can't get the uh, he can't get the secret sauce. And even so, like Mac Jones, he hasn't looked great. He just he hasn't looked great. So the loss of James White is going to be huge. It's going to be tough. It's definitely going to be tough. But I can see them at as a nine-win team, maybe a slight dip back, but still enough to hold off the Miami Dolphins. And first place, running away, the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen takes the next step. I think he's going to have an MVP season. This is the time. This is the the moment where the Buffalo Bills need to take that next step if they want to play with the big boys. Right? The Bengals got there last year. They got to the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are going to be in the mix. Buffalo is talented enough to compete with the higher echelon teams in the AFC and frankly I'd be disappointed if they don't at least make the AFC title game not even win it gotta at least make it but this division it's theirs for the taking this has been the fade route with DNZ Thanks for tuning in tonight. Catch our podcast on Anchor, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, stay faded, everyone. Time for us to run the go route, but we'll talk to you next week. want to get on the action we want to hear from you hit us up fade route mail at gmail.com slide in our dms on ig at fade route podcast drop us a dm on twitter at fade route dnz comment on our youtube channel the fade route with dnz questions comments 
picks, segment suggestions, you name it, we want to hear from you. Get at us, Incrowd. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. Turn on subscription notifications and tell your friends. Spread the word. Spread it wide.